you don't know how hard it is to start after Matt. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Uh, well, welcome to Crossbridge today. Um, you know, if you've been here any length of time at all, um, you have heard me confess that I am directionally challenged. I cannot find my way anywhere. Um, I actually grew up in Ossian, and if you're familiar with Ossian at all, there is literally one road and two stoplights, and my parents used to make fun of me that I could get lost in Ossian, which I could. And, and yeah, and it just, you know, I, no matter what kind of GPS I have, I can still mess it up and get lost. Um, it's honestly why I married Barb is because she's got a great sense of direction. I thought maybe I'll actually end up where I'm supposed to go. But it's it just, you know, I don't know. It's just, I, I just can't. I just can't seem to find my way around, and, and even when I really try really hard, and I, I look at the map beforehand, I try to memorize the roads, I, I am driving when I start out, and I'm looking for all the, the signs and things, and then my mind starts wandering, and I, all of a sudden, I'm nowhere near where I'm supposed to go. It's just kind of the way I am, you know? And it's not only just in driving sometimes, it's in our life too, isn't it? That sometimes that um, we just are directionally challenged. We don't see the signs maybe in front of us. And, we, and have you ever gotten to a point in your life where things just are not going where anywhere? You're, it's kind of a disaster. And, and, and you get to a point that you just ask God, God, can you just give me a sign? Can you just, just tell me which direction I'm supposed to go? Or maybe you get to a point in your life where, where there's two roads and, and a fork in the road, if you will, and, and you've got to make a decision and you're just thinking, I, I just need a sign to get me where I'm going. Maybe you felt like this before. Watch this with me. Okay, God. You want me to talk to you? Talk back. Tell me what's going on. What should I do? Give me a signal. I need your guidance, Lord. Please send me a sign. Oh, what's this joker doing now? Okay, all right, I'll try it your way. All right, Lord, I need a miracle. I'm desperate. I need your help, Lord. <laughs> Have you ever been there? I mean, seriously, you get to a point in your life and you think, oh, I just need a sign, God. And maybe you've had people um, come alongside you and say, you know, man, the direction you are going is not the direction you're supposed to go. Man, you keep going down this road that you're going to end up in a dead end, that you're going to end up in a place that you don't want to be. And, and, and we continue to ask for a sign, but yet we ignore all the signs around us. We ignore the people trying to speak into our lives. And we end up in a place that we're not really wanting to be. And, and, and maybe we've all been to a place where, where we even question this whole God thing. Is this thing even real? You know, it, 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 the way my life is going, the way things have ended up, I'm not sure that, that he's even there. Why am I in this place? If I'm in this place, if I'm in all this suffering, if I'm in all, all over my head, where is God in all of this? And if we could just have a sign, if we could just have a direction, well, lucky for us, the Apostle John actually gives us some of those signs. And that's where we're going to be hanging out for the next seven weeks in our Easter series here, looking at the seven signs that John gives us of, of figuring out our question that we're asking in this series, which is, who was this Jesus? Was he a man? Was he a myth? Or was he who he claimed to be, the Messiah? 
And, and, and John writes about this, and he's very intentional about how he writes this. And so that's what we're going to be looking at over the next seven weeks. And, and I think if you just engage with us here, it's going, to, it's going to be an amazing series. And what John does is he talks about these, what we would call miracles, but he actually calls them signs very specifically. He wants us to understand that these are signs pointing to exactly who Jesus says he was, that he was the Messiah. And here's the thing about John is that he was the last of the living apostles, Everybody was gone, everybody that he had did, did life with. you know. And, and here was John living with Jesus. He was following Jesus around. He, he was journeying with Jesus, and, and, and that's what we're going to be doing. And, and so as, as he's writing this, you've got to understand that Peter is gone. He's been crucified. James, the brother of Jesus, has been stoned to death. Paul has been beheaded. They are all gone. We believe that, that the other disciples had already been martyred for their faith. They had died for the sake of Christ. And here is John, the last living apostle. And I don't know whether he just decided, hey, I've got to write my own story here. I've got to write down what, what I have seen, what I have eyewitnessed, or whether someone said, John, you're the last one left. You've got to tell your story. Matthew and Mark and, 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 and Luke has already told the story, but you've got to tell your story because you were one of those. You were one of the, the, the eyewitnesses to see what all Jesus had done. And so John, very intentionally, in a very unique way, different from all the other gospel writers, actually writes a story. And, and it's very interesting the way he does it. He sets it up on, in a very intentional way, and he does it for a specific person, a purpose, and he actually gives us that purpose. He writes this in John chapter 20, telling us why he's writing his story. It says in verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So he starts off by saying that there was all kinds of miracles. There was all kinds of things that, that happened, but I'm not telling you everything, I'm going to pick out specifically seven things that Jesus did, seven events that Jesus did, did signs, and I'm going to, to, to tell you those things. He specifically did this. And, and this, when he says in this book, he's not talking about the Bible itself. He's talking about this letter that he is writing. And, and we think that John actually didn't write this by hand. What he did is he actually uh, told it to somebody else, a scribe who actually wrote it down because of the type of Greek it was in. He wanted to make sure as many people as, as he could would actually read this. He goes on and says this, but these are written that you may believe. He's given you these signs. He's giving, writing this thing so that you may believe. And what is it that we're supposed to believe in? That Jesus is the Messiah that he is the son of God. He is not just some man. He is not just some myth, some legend that happened, but he is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by what? By believing you may have life in his name. And John takes us through these events, these signs, and what he's saying is that I was an eyewitness. I walked with this man. I saw what happened. I was there throughout the whole the whole ordeal uh, from the time he started his ministry to the time his ministry was ended, and we thought it was all over until the resurrection. I was there. I was an eyewitness. There's these events, what I'm going to call signs, and what these signs are, are they are evidence. They are evidence that Jesus was exactly who he said he was, that he was the Messiah. You don't have to question. Maybe you've been told sometime in your life that you just need to believe, man. You just need to believe. You just have to have faith. You just have to believe. And John's saying, no, 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 it's better than that. No, I've seen it. I am an eyewitness to what actually happened to Jesus. You can count on it. You can take this to the bank that Jesus was who he said 
he was going to, and did what everything he said that he was going to do. It was evidence to him. So let's just jump in right, right away to the very first sign today. So if you want to get your Bibles out, your U versions, we're going to be in John chapter 2. It'll also be on the screens as you follow along. This first sign, John chapter 2, verse 1, starts out like this. On the third day, and I just want to pause there because I think there's something interesting that John does right here. There's all kinds of things that happen on the third day. If, just do a search time sometime through Scripture of, of all the amazing prophecies, things that happen on the third day, one of which we'll be celebrating here in a few weeks of Jesus raising from the dead. But I think it's significant that he says that the very first sign happens on the third day. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So Mary was there, and, and she must have been either uh, an important figure in this actual wedding, preparing for this wedding, or she was a very close family friend. And Jesus and all his disciples were, were there also, it says, that they were invited because of the closeness of this relationship with the wedding party, probably. And John, again, was there. He was an eyewitness of everything that, that was going to happen. And weddings were big deals in this day. They went on for, for days and sometimes even a week. And so this is one of those things that all the village would come out. It was an important occasion, and, and people would go out and celebrate. And then it goes on. It says in verse 3, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And to us, we think, okay, well, they're, they're running out of wine. You know, maybe the party was bigger, but this was a big faux pas. Man, if this happened in a wedding here, it was going to bring shame to your family. It was going to bring an embarrassment to your, it would have been talked about in the village for a, maybe forever that you actually ran out of wine. It would have been an embarrassment, a shame for the, for the family. It would have been for the parents. It would have been for the pers person who was putting on this party, for the bride and groom. They would have lived in shame because of this. Can you imagine running out of food at, at a wedding, you know? There's only really one reason I go to a wedding. <laughs> and it's the cake, okay? You do not want to run out of cake, you know, if, if Barb drags me to a wedding and they run out of cake, man, I am one disappointed puppy. You know what I'm saying? And, and so that's what it would have been like. It would have been so embarrassing. And, and here is Mary looking at Jesus, you know? And it would have been kind of like you're sitting at, just picture this, you're sitting, your son is Jesus, all right? And so you're sitting at your kitchen table, your island, whatever, and you're baking a cake and you're getting ready to put all the ingredients together. You go to the refrigerator and you don't have any eggs, you're thinking, I need eggs to make this cake, and I'm not going down to Kroger and navigating that parking lot, you know? Jesus, can you hook me up here with some eggs? Can you, the trips I could save to Kroger, you know? That's basically what Mary is doing here, saying, Jesus, they're out of wine. Here's what Jesus replies. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, and I think this is interesting, and as I researched this this week, you know, some scholars and some theologians will tell you that, that, you know, this seems a little harsh to us, and it may have been that Jesus was a little put off that Mary actually asked him, woman, what are you talking about, you know? Others say that because it was a formal occasion that Jesus was just using a formal terminology, it would have been kind of like my lady. But either way, the next line I think is very interesting. And Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. And I had always thought before researching this and studying this is that what Jesus was talking about was it's not time for me to start my earthly ministry, mom. It's not, it's not really, I'm not prepared. This is not the time. I, you're kind of forcing me into this and I'm not sure that's what it says. Because anytime you see where Jesus talks about his hour, 
It is always talking about his death. And I'm not so sure at this time that what Jesus is saying is that my hour has not yet come, that he is realizing if this all starts now, if I start my public ministry now, it's going to lead to one place and one place only, to me being crucified. He understood why he was there and where he was going to end up. And here he is, my hour is not yet come. I'm not so sure he's not lamenting, saying, I don't know if I really want to do this. I'm not sure I want to get to that point. I know what's in store for me. The hour is going to be very painful for me. But his mother, she wasn't hearing any of it. She says this, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Verse six, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And these jars are very important. The symbolism here is very crucial for us to understand. And the, and the, the people he would have been writing this to would have understood how important this was, what he's talking about here. These stone jars would have been used as the guests would have come in, that they would have taken these jars, they would have washed their hands in a specific way, maybe even up to their elbows because it was how the law was written. This is how they were going to stay ceremonially clean. And even after they'd eaten, some of them may have come back and, and, and washed again. It, it represented everything that was Judaism. It represented all the law. It represented everything that was, was there in their religious circle that day. It actually represented everything that Jesus came to replace. These stone jars represent Judaism as a whole. It represents the old covenant. It represented how you became right with God, and Jesus had come to replace that. It's the significance of what we're talking about here. And so Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. A commentary of, of the book of John from F.F. F. Bruce puts it this way. The water provided for purification as laid down by Jewish law and custom stands for the whole ancient order of Jewish ceremony, which Christ was to replace with something better. This just wasn't a, a, a comment that John makes. He wants to draw our attention to what Jesus used to start his ministry, what Jesus used to start his, 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 his way that he was going to rescue the world was through these stone pots. We can't miss this. It was all about the old covenant, Judaism, the law. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet which would have been kind of the head waiter, the, the wedding planner, if you will, the person who had put all of this together. And, and, and they would have been shamed also if they would have run out of wine. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. And the symbolism is absolutely amazing here. These stone pots that, had, that, that was used for ceremonial washing was about a sacrificial system that was inadequate. And that Jesus was about to use that system to do something brand new and change everything and restore this party. Something better has come. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. 
And the question is, why did they believe? Because of what they saw. It wasn't one of these things, and we don't have to go through life thinking, well, I'm just believing because it's, it's out there. I just believe because I'm told to believe. I'm just going to believe. No, John is saying, you don't, it's, it's better than that. I'm writing this down so you understand that there was this event that happened. And I'm going to give you some more events, but here's this one specific event that absolutely happened, that I, I, I was an eyewitness, that I watched this miracle happen. It was a sign it was evidence, so I come back and hang my faith on what I saw, what actually happened, a point in history. That's what I'm talking about here. And John points to, very, to this very first sign, and honestly, it's a little bit unusual, isn't it? That you would think that if, if Jesus is going to start his ministry and do something, he'd do something really wild. You know, he would heal some kind of sick person, that he would... He would cast out a demon somewhere to, to show that he has authority over everything, that maybe he'd raise someone from the dead, but, but he starts at a wedding. He saves a wedding is what he does. Why would he do that? And I think the answer to that is, is for what Jesus actually came to bring. So what was it that Jesus came to bring us? It was fulfillment. It was an, uh, he came to bring us joy. He came, us, he came to bring us a way to live life that is so abundant and full. John actually says this in John 10.10. 10. He says, Jesus himself says, I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. We've got to understand that a full life is found only in Jesus and the world will tell you there's other ways to find fulfillment. There's other ways that you're going to be filled up. There's other ways that you can go out and chase. You can become successful. You can go out and have pleasure. You can go out and, and do all these kind of things. But if you want true, abundant life, a fulfilled life with meaning and purpose, it is centered on the person of Jesus Christ. He came to bring us joy. And we are always looking for the next thing that's going to fill us up. We are looking for a way that, that, that life can be better for us, that, 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 that we can... Man can just have whatever it is, and it's only found in Jesus, and we keep looking for it in other places. If you want to have meaning and purpose, it's all found in Jesus. He came to bring joy to us. And I think it's interesting that he's, John starts his, his talk, his, his writing about a wedding. Uh, and he starts his whole ministry thing at a wedding, and John also writes the book of Revelation. And he talks about the future to come, our great inheritance. And you know where he ends up? At a wedding. There's so much symbolism here that John is doing. And, and, and he's writing so that you understand. And, and you'll hear all the time if you go through the New Testament and, and, and you'll hear, hear this language of a bride and a bridegroom, that we are the bride of Christ, that we the church we people who are, are set our lives of following Jesus, that, that we are the bride of Christ, and this bridegroom is going to come for us. And here's what John says in Revelation 21, 2. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. He's talking about the future. But John also in, in this book that we are looking at also said that Jesus came in the flesh and he dwelt among us. He took up residence with us. 
The comparison is incredible here. He goes on and says, they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He's making this, this, this claim that, that we are going to be able to live without any of the suffering, all the troubles, all the trials that we've been going through in this life. There's a time coming that we don't have to have any of that. He who has, was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new, just like he did with the wine. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The reason that Jesus came, the what behind it all, was to make us new. He made the new wine out of something that was old. It was even better, and he can make us brand new. And the things that we're struggling with, the challenges that we are facing, that when we give our lives to him, Paul says it this way, is that we become a new creation, that the old is past, the new has come, that we are brand new. If you want to live an abundant life, it all starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. John wants us to understand that. The next question is, why did Jesus come? And, and in our story, Jesus comes and he actually rescues the, the wedding party, the master of ceremonies, this, this couple from all of this shame, from all of this embarrassment. And I think it's the same thing he comes to for us is he rescues us from the, from the way that we live that is, is a detriment to us and our joy and our abundant life. He comes so that we can, we, can, we can be whole in him. See, these stone pots, once again, symbolize Judaism and, and all the things that they had to, to do to become righteous. They understood that they could not stand before a righteous God, that there, there was sin in their lives that was between them and God, and so they could not have a relationship with him. So they had to jump through all these hoops. They had to wash their hands just right. They had to do all the sacrifices, all of these things, so that they could have a chance to stand before God. And Jesus came to pay that price once and for all and to change everything, change the system of the, of the old way, the old covenant. There was something brand new that was better, just like the wine was the best that they served. This new way of life in Jesus was better. And we've got to understand that we are in the same situation, that there is nothing that we can do to ever earn our way, that we can never be good enough to stand before a holy God. But Jesus stood in our place. He took all of our pain, all of our, 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 our sins, all of our, our, our mistakes, anything that we've ever done wrong, anything that we ever will do, do wrong, and he paid the price for them. He makes something new out of something old, and he rescues us. And then how did he come to do it? And all through Scripture, we, we see these pictures of these wedding feasts and, and people being invited to a, to a banquet. And, and it's all about being invited into this, and we are all invited. We are able to be in a love relationship with God. We are able to have our vertical relationship with God intact because of what Jesus came to do and paying that price. He came to pay a price so that you could be invited so you could have a ticket to the party, so that you could get yourself into a place that, yes, I belong to the family of God. And over the last many months, we've been talking about Jesus living here on earth and, and, and setting an example for us, living the way he loved people and the, the types of people that he loved, the people he loved to hang around with. 
And, and, and that is all true. We cannot lose sight of, of who Jesus came to rescue, who Jesus wanted to do life with. We've got to take that example, but it's more than that. He didn't just come to, to, to show us how, who we're to love and, and, and how to live. He came to us as a savior because we couldn't have a right relationship with God unless he did. And then he showed us how to live. And he replaces the old sacrificial system with something absolutely brand new. He replaces what should have been our punishment so that we can have a relationship. It's exactly what it's, the symbolism is incredible, what, what John is talking about with the old, these, these stone pots that, God, that Jesus used them to show us that we can have a better life through him. There was this party that ran out of wine. And Jesus made it better. He brought joy again to that party. And my question for us today, I think the thing that we have to wrestle with, some of, the, some of you sitting here have to ask yourself, what have I run out of? What is it in my life that, that, that I have run out of that, that I need Jesus to replenish? I've run out of strength, and I don't think I can go on anymore. I've run out of self-sufficiency. I've been trying to do this whole thing on my own. I've been kind of putting Jesus on the outside. I've been putting God on the outside. And I've just been relying on myself to get through life. And, and, and I'm running out of my ability to overcome my addiction. I'm, I, I'm running out of the ability to, 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 to not fear anymore. I've been doing it on my own. I, I can't get rid of this depression. I can't get rid of the anxiety. I can't get rid of my, my self-loathing even. I'm just running out of patience. I'm running out of fill in the blank. And Jesus is here to fill those pots up with a brim and it's gonna be the best life. And what did, what did Mary do to get him to do this? He just goes up and she says, Jesus, they're out of wine. And she asked for Jesus' help. And so if there's something in your life that you are just out of, that you don't know how you're gonna go on, the very first step is the same step that Mary took, is to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need your help. The only way that I can be filled up again, the only thing that can keep, keep me on the track, the only way that I can have the abundant life that you are calling me to is through you. I cannot do it on my own, but I know that God can. And then the next thing that happens, Mary says to the servants, just do what he says. Do whatever he tells you to do. And I think it's the same for us today in our lives where, where we're just at, at wit's end. We don't know where to go. We don't, we don't know what path to take. The road is running out and we're lost. And we ask Jesus, I, I need you to go. And then, then it's up to us to follow him, is to do what Jesus says, which means what we've got to do is surrender. We've got to take our lives, our will, the things that we want to do, the, the, the way we want to live life, and we say, God, it's not about me anymore. It's yours. And we completely surrender. And it's a scary step to say, you can have every part of me. You can have anything that I do, anything I think, 
how I live, the decisions I make, God, it's not about me anymore. It's about you, and it's about a life of surrender. And we truly decide that we are going to follow Jesus at whatever cost it may take. Will you replace what's empty in your life with what Jesus has to offer you? And it is so much better. It is so incredible to live that kind of life. Does it mean that everything's going to be all right? Everything's going to get perfect? And you're going to live? No, it may get harder. <laughs> and it's unexplainable. It may get harder. It may get tougher. You may face some things. You think, well, why did I do that? Because there's still this inside joy. There's this abundant life. There's this, this knowing that you have a right relationship with God and that you have purpose and meaning. It's an amazing, amazing story, isn't it? And so we're going to take communion today together. And here's what I hope. I hope this is just a meaningful time. And maybe wherever you are, whatever it is that's holding you back, whatever it is in your life that, that you just need God to replenish, that you would just set right now and just to say, God, I'm like Mary, I, I, I need you. And then I'm willing to follow. Here it is, God. I know what you're impressing on my heart right now, and, and, and this is it. I'm giving it to you. I want to live a life of meaning and purpose in abundance, in joy, like you came to bring. That's what this story is all about. Something brand new was going to happen. The old ways are gone, the new. And your old way can be gone today, and the new starts. For some of you sitting out here, maybe you've never given your life to Christ. You never said, you know what, I, I played with this thing. I, I, I've been around this whole God thing. I don't understand it all. But it's just about you saying, I surrender to you, God. That I understand what Jesus did for me on the cross. That he took those things, my things, and he paid the price for me. And I am so thankful I'm giving you my life today. I will follow you today. Those Kalen plays, would you just come and get the elements and just hold on to them? And we will take communion together in just a few moments.
You know, I never want to take this moment when we share communion together for granted. It's not something we just do. It's something that we want to be memorable and meaningful. And in the story today, all the symbolism of, of the old covenant and the new covenant, it's just incredible to me. It kind of popped out at me this week and what John was trying to tell us of what Jesus can do. And, and honestly, communion, when Jesus was there at the Last Supper, it was full of symbolism also. And honestly, the disciples should have walked out when Jesus actually started the Passover celebration and with what he said, because it was blasphemous. And they had sat there, and, and, and for literally centuries, hundreds of years, they had celebrated God rescuing Israel from, from Egypt. That's what Passover was about. This whole massive celebration, and Jesus said, we're not celebrating that anymore. We're gonna celebrate something different. And they couldn't ever understand it at that time, but they were about to in just a few days, the next day that Jesus would be put to death. And he took this and, and, and he made it about himself. He said that it was now gonna be about a new covenant. It's not about the old rescue, it's about the new rescue that I'm about to do, that you're going to experience firsthand starting tomorrow. Paul writes about it this way. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he goes on and says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant. Something brand new is happening. Something the world had never seen that that we are experiencing 2,000 years later coming together. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Father, we are humbled and we are so grateful. We don't deserve any of this. But yet you came to rescue us. Father, thank you for the story that John wrote down so that we could get a glimpse of the importance and, and what was actually happening. Not that we could just go out and blindly believe that we can have evidence that someone saw this, someone witnessed it, someone experienced it, this sign, that we can go back and we can hold on to that truth. And so God, as we sit here as a church, as we sit here as individuals, and you know all of the stories here. You know what's going on in each and every one of those lives. You know how empty we are and how much you want to fill it up to the brim and turn it into something brand new, just like the wine. And so God, that's what we ask, that you would fill us up, that we would have joy, we would have abundant life, that our lives would have meaning and purpose, and we would see others be drawn to you because of it. We are so grateful and thank you. We deserve none of it. We give you all the glory for it, and it's in the matchless, amazing, precious name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, this series, I think, is going to be amazing for us as we journey with John, as he journeyed with Jesus.
and go through the rest of these signs that point us for the evidence of Jesus. Can you think of someone that maybe you want to bring back that needs to hear that the Messiah actually came?